Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of what show, Alexander? The Boombasticast. The Boombasticast. I've heard of that show. I like yeah. that show. It's not too bad. I like that Matt guy. That yeah. Alex guy, you know. And that Alex guy is not too cool. Maybe I like him too much, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Uh, well, we got a great episode for everybody here today. You know what I mean? We was about to rock it and roll it. You know what I mean? We got the great Frank Farrell on the show. You know, you might know this gentleman from Spookies, Street Trash. You know what I mean? Ivan the Lunatics. You know, a lot of really cool shite, man. Dude, Doogie was made a screen presence 1978 or 9's Dawn of the Dead. Eight or nine. I forget off the top of my head. Uh, but I believe it's 78. To be correct, yeah. 1978. 1979 is when I was going to make Dawn of the Dead, but then I found out that there already was one. <laughs> so I made the Amityville Cursed Toddler Shoes 17 instead, and that's where I gained all my financial funds that I live off of to this day. It's very beautiful, um, very fantastic. Uh, we have a great episode today. We're about to cruise in, talk about all those films mentioned, and a little bit extra. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, some business talk. Have a little in- insider baseball uh, in this one, uh, as we usually do. I don't know why I'm saying in this one like we've never done it before, but uh, hell yeah, looking forward to this one. We've had Frank in the in the fucking barrel of the gun or the farrel of the gun for many times now, getting ready to shoot it at y'all. And uh, we laid it down today. Fun fact, recorded on Easter 2022, the Sunday. Um, tell your family and friends. They all want to know. And they'll never have to celebrate Easter again when I just dropped that Easter egg on them right there. Now you know. Now you know when it all went down. Alex, how you doing over there, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Ooh, anything good on Easter Sunday for you? I don't know. I don't know. I I, I can uh, smell a lot of good things being cooked down, and as soon as this is over, I'm going to partake. I heard that Alex says this Easter he gets to live the life of an egg because he's boiling in hot water that we had to drop an episode today. But it's okay because we do what we love, and we love what we do. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, fair enough. So uh, with that being said, everybody, welcome to the show, the great Frank Farrell. It's, uh, it's good to have you on the show, man. Well, it's good to have uh, guys who want to have me on their show. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm flattered every time somebody wants to talk to me or interview me. I mean, I mean I've been, I'm so grateful for fans, to be quite honest. Fans are a beautiful thing, you know, and I'm glad you can appreciate that. There's certain people that don't appreciate, and it's very tough to imagine a world of anything without the support. I've, I've discussed this before with a number of people and had the same response. That, yeah, there are people out there who are just kind of assholes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess I don't understand that. Um, I mean, I sort of I mean, you sort of expect it if somebody becomes, like, really big, world-famous, you know, super popular, whatever, that they're going to be – you know, changed and maybe maybe become jerks. Not everybody does have that problem, but uh, but I guess it always like it amuses me when you see these people who who have a certain amount of of notoriety and they have you know within a limited number of people or or people with certain interests and they uh, become uh, royalty in their own minds or something. I blame social media. 
I got to get it because you see that a lot with, online. You'll see, you know, even in like the film world or the music world or whatever, artists that quite aren't, they're not quite popping, but like they yeah, get yeah. the support or they get a group of friends around them that actually support, which I, I give salute to those friends for being so supportive. You know what I mean? Um, right. But that's, it's kind of like that. That's how they rise, you know, to uh, where they're going. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's that, but, I mean, but then again, I mean, just, uh, I mean, if I just go by the people on, on some of, uh, you know, my Facebook feed, et cetera, it's like, you know, everybody's looking for attention of one sort or another and they go about it, you know, their various ways. Um, so I don't, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's a matter of how much you're doing it for egotistical reasons to begin with. It's like, is it like, is your main thing is like your goal, you seeing yourself accepting like, you know, awards for your movies. If that's, if that's your goal, I think that's the wrong goal. I think the goal is to have something, a work that you feel great about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately today is the uh, TikTok age. So you got uh, everyone and anyone who, uh, who are thirsting for that kind of recognition you know, doing like TikTok, social media, Instagram, and all that. And unfortunately, I think the uh, big budget uh, movies are really adding into that kind of fever pitch for the fact that now you see that they will grab someone who has like a million views on TikTok and right, like, right. oh, you're going to be a supporting uh, actor in this film, whether they can actually do the job or not. Right, but th- but that's that's strictly a commercial move, and that's always been done with you know you get a name it can be somebody you know it can be a singer or somebody who's you know who's known for for doing the news or anything it's just as long as they have a face that a certain number of people recognize and supposedly like yeah it'd be interesting to see if there was so no social media how many of these folks would still be pursuing their art form you know what i mean it would make things well a lot of them i think wouldn't yeah it's a scary deal you know, you know, it goes back to the old, like, you talk about with making film now as opposed to then, where you worked with more real film and stuff, and now you have digital film, and, you know, it's less, you know, not as expensive, of course, and you can just, you know, it's, filmmaking's got a whole lot easier. You can edit a phone on your iPhone, edit a movie on your iPhone. You can do all types of stuff now. Mm-hmm. They're like, if that stuff wasn't there, we definitely want to be seeing the upchuck of No, not at all. And I think... I, I, I'm surprised that what I see is though. It, not, no, I'm not actually surprised because it's like to me, it's like I think it's a very good thing. It's the same yeah. thing as anybody being able to write something. You know, if you if you know the language and can and write, you know, can write words, then you can write. You have the ability to accomplish that. And all this is doing is placing movie and video making at the same level, pretty much. I mean, there's a lot more to it. There's, a, I think, a lot of people just sort of uh, you know stumble into it, and they don't really have any idea of what uh, might improve their work. They just, you know, they just bumble their way along. And if they're popular, I guess, uh, you know, fine. That's if that's what they want. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I see a lot of films that for, for low budgets are very well done for like, you know, really have had people who obviously thought about them. They had uh, people who had, uh, you know, art, artistic uh, sense and abilities to, to handle various things. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's really something that uh, can could explode uh, if enough people with talent got into all this. But at the same time, I see an awful lot of stuff, as you guys probably do, that just, you know, it's just amateur stuff. You know, it has no real 
value beyond uh, you know the fact that somebody got a chance to make a movie. I think it was, I was trying to find the quote real quick, but I think Francis Ford Coppola in like the mid nineties, somebody asked him where the future of filmmaking was going. Yeah. He said it was something like, it's going to be like a 15 year old girl that makes a, a movie on her. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen like that. that. Yeah. 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 And uh, he was like, yeah, to the you know, finger right on the pulse. He ca- always kind of has, you got to give credit to Francis for that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been made with it being made easier. There's, there's a, you know, a robust, flavor of indie spirit out there you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now how did yeah, you get, I mean, yeah no, no go right ahead go ahead i was I gonna mean. say how did you get get caught up in the the buzz the love of cinema from a child uh from a fairly young age i'd say at about 12 or 13 years old or so uh i sort of simultaneously became uh very interested in, uh, you know, well, I guess like a lot of young kids, like I guess it was probably monsters that attracted me to movies, etc. But uh, uh, once again, I think any th- any genre that involves imagination yeah. appeals to kids on whatever level. And so I became uh, an early, you know, young uh, viewer and reader of uh, science fiction and, and horror and things like that. And uh, at that time, uh, you know, there was like all kinds of, you know, B movies and etc. on TV, and so I probably the first horror movies I saw were like the uh, uh, American International fifties uh, and sixties movies, uh, you know, black and white for the most part, and uh, so that that was like something that I guess intrigued me. And then later, you know, the Universal monsters, etc. Uh, and actually, I just did an interview that's part of a uh, a documentary that's being done about the. Uh, about King Kong, the history of King Kong yes. in movies. And, uh, you know, King Kong was maybe the first thing I ever saw. I guess I have a distinct memory of seeing it, like, at mu- what must have been, like, the age of three or four. And, like, you know, and what scene, I, the first thing I saw and what it was. And it immediately fascinated me. Yeah, that stop motion is still effective to this day. You can kill, you can kind of see, you know, the little flaws in it, if you will, or the fact that what it is, but, like, it still looks really good. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, you know, you have, I mean, the thing is, when something is like pioneering and like doing something that really wasn't done, that uh, you know, certainly on that scale or anything, you have to like, you know, fl- they're going to be flaws, right? <laughs> I mean, George Lucas went back and corrected his flaws, or what yeah. he thought were his flaws. <laughs> yeah, they, the fans didn't like that though; they wanted the original. Yeah, well, sometimes I think the flaws in the movie, uh, you know, gives it its own uh, kind of character. I mean, when I mean, I think when you're looking at different arts, I mean, flaws is one of the things that makes the the art stand out. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at Picasso, you look at you know a bunch of these. I mean, you can look at Picasso's painting and like, well, that doesn't look like a regular person's face. That doesn't look like a right. scenic set but i mean it's it's a different style and you can argue that well there's a flaw in how he he painted but you know that's what made it interesting that's but it's not here's the thing i don't think it is a flaw because picasso could could do uh could you know draw real life and 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 draw very very well i mean it's not like he had some inability to draw or didn't quite you know have it in his his mind to see things that way or whatever um I think it's sometimes, uh, you know, crudity is part of the deliberate artistic result. I mean, uh, you know, and there are times where it's like if you look at a lot of artists, um, and this goes uh, very much for something like uh, comic book artists or cartoonists, 
they get to a point where they're trying to draw everything as well as they can possibly draw it. And they, they go through that for maybe most of their careers. And then sometimes when they get to an older age, they're able to do things more easily. So they sort of simplify what they do to some extent so that they realize that I can get the same effect with, you know, just a few lines instead of a very, you know, detailed textured picture, so, picture sometimes that, you know, I don't always have to go for what I did when I was younger because I now have skill that conveys what I want. Yeah, for sure. You ever listen to um, Gilbert Gottfried, rest in peace, just passed away. His um, yeah. Gilbert, the colossal pack podcast. I think you'd like that show. I, I, I have listened to it a few times. I haven't listened to it that much. In fact, at one point, somebody tried to get me on it, but that didn't happen. That was prior to Spookies being released on Blu-ray, which yeah. sort of uh, created a, a, a new market for things like that. Yeah. I like that. So he's an old school creature kid. I like that. I support that heavily. What what brought you from the stage of the old school uh, creature <coughs> type fan mm-hmm. to the, the set of the 1978 classic film dawn of the dead how well how, how do you get there what brought there? me there was having a consistent interest and meeting people and and sort of uh you know because at at being a horror fan especially at that time you know or sci-fi yeah. you were still not like a normal kid you were just considered it like usually you were the odd kid or one of several odd kids and there were like lots of kids like that yeah. actually it didn't become like, you know, mainstream and cool until a certain Recent. point. Recently, yeah. last yeah. 10 years, yeah. probably. Well, you know, where you can have a show, you know, I mean, nowadays you can have something, a science fiction show that like 20 years ago, they would have thought you were insane if you if you thought you could put this on television. Right. Yeah, it's like like The Walking Dead and American Horror Story created a whole yes. different like yes. sub-audience sub of horror fan, you know. Right, I mean? but I think that audience was always there. Yeah. But And I think... Part of what happened also is I think it's it's like one of these things, and you see this happen several times, like in the history of movies and TV, where there's the transition over to like the new generations and the new sensibilities of things. It's two o'clock. And, and sorry, my my computer just spoke. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think in some cases it's, it's a you know it's a difficult transition. A lot of people like like will start bitching about oh things used to be this way and now they're they're done this way or whatever. And I think those transitions just, you know, always go on, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Yeah. Yeah, That so, because we were talking about the social media and stuff, and the one thing I always give social media credit for is how you can, like right now, how you can just reach out to people that you like and you can open mm-hmm. up a dialogue with them. So, like, back in right. the 79, though, paint, paint us a little picture how... I'm very curious. I mean, there was less fans of the genre then, so it was more of a tight knit group. I assume that you- I, I I met my partner uh, and I, ultimately both my partners for Spookies at a class I took at the, the State University in Purchase here in New York. Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing is, I mean, you know, and I had, you know, I mean, I always had a few friends that were into some of these same things, etc. But, um, you know, I, I mean, beyond that, it, would, it was a matter of going to, like, you know, comic and sci-fi conventions and, yes. you know, and, and, and just knowing that there were other people there that were going to be fans. Um, you know, but at that time, it was a very different thing than it is now. Now, that's that's become such a big thing, and it's so much more commercialized than it was when, when I started out. I mean, it was really yeah. still, like, you know, just a limited group of people, like, going out to, to share something that they liked. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's more secret club like, you know what I mean? Um, now with it being so popular, it's cool that it's popular, but it's no longer. I think 
you know, horror and stuff like that and sci-fi and all that, even comic books. I think they all had that a long time ago, all had that. Well, it's my own. It's almost like a secret thing that I know about that I love. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't quite pop culture yet. Now it's all pop culture. Uh, but yeah, that's very interesting. I find that super cool that like horror fans and fans of the genre kind of linked up at the cons and that kind of got you on that film in a way that's crazy yeah well i mean like i said i mean i i i wound up doing the film spookies with uh these two guys uh tom doran and brendan yeah. faulkner who i met uh, through a class that i took um and and we had serious ambitions all of us to make films and i think we recognized that so and this is amongst you know a class of like you know 20 people or whatever it was and there's always i found that you know because i took filmmaking uh classes uh there and elsewhere and i I think there are always people who are in there because they think, wow, it would be cool to make movies. And, and there are other people in there who are saying, oh, I have to make movies and I have to do this in order to make movies. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, they um, definitely back in that era, you know, the the majority of those films. Yeah. The, any, was there anybody else from that class that went on to do other things that, that were notable? All right. Let me think here. Um one, let's see. All right. There was, uh, a kid in the class who did, who was doing some, you know, fairly crude clay animation and brought in his films and showed them, et cetera. And, uh, and it was, you know, and I was impressed by it. I was like, like, you know, very, you know, ambitious for something at the time with, you know, with like a, you know, what a 17 year old or whatever he, or what he was when he made it. Um, and then he, uh, his name is, uh, Chris Wedge. You know him? He, and then he went on to direct, like, he's directed, like, numerous major animated features at this point. Yeah. See, I think, yeah, because it's more, I think the people that are turning up are more, like, they know they need it for that to add to their, you know, credentials to be able to get to the next level type deal. Right. For sure. You know, and then, uh, you know, I mean, they're, uh, you know, there were people here and there who did, you know, who did make, in, you know, small films here uh, that, that I met around that time. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I would say that's true probably of, you know, when, whenever there is a class or something like that in any field, probably, you have a core group of people that, man, those people just like, they're, they're really there for a reason. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I'm not the biggest advocate of learning through a school. I think doing stuff is like the best way to do it. Yeah, we agree with that. If you go to a school, I mean, if they kind of just do cookie cutter type, like cookie cutter release filmmaking. Well, yeah, it's like they have, you know, there's a checklist. Did you, do you know how to do this? Can you do that? Did you make a reasonable thesis film? Whatever it is. Uh, I think um, it's hard to say because I, I think I, like, I think anybody can do the basics of making a film and know how to shoot a scene or whatever in the most basic way. To do something different or personal or, or unique or, or really different with it is, a, is another matter. That's what I usually look for. I want to, I like to see filmmakers who are making me engaged. Yeah. Yeah. I think film school's good for, you know, to look, it's good on paper. And I think the connections that you make through it are the most valuable thing, but, but even with like social media nowadays to go back to that with, you know, networking mm -hmm. and you can just go, you can kind of go, go to your town, like Facebook page and probably post, Hey, I'm going to try and make a movie. And you probably get some people to help you out, you know. What I, mean? I think so. And and to tell the truth, uh, I I shied away from social media for a good yeah. long time, and especially after like when Facebook started, I was working with a uh, a television company that uh, started using Facebook, 
And, you know, and I go to the page one day and it's got like, you know, 12 billion likes and all this other shit. And I say, well, you know, what the fuck is this? You just bought all these likes and like, it's so obvious and no one's going to pay me. And, 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 and of course they, they like chewed me out for telling them this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but I got totally turned off to the whole idea of social media. I thought, all right, well, if this is like how it's going to operate, like, how can you be, how can you think anything about anything? Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, that seems to not be quite the same problem that it was, at least at the time. Um, and I feel, uh, I have fortunately been able to now correct, connect because, uh, almost as soon as I went on, like what really made the difference is Spookies came out on a, on a Blu-ray disc after yeah. being unreleased on American video and, and since uh, the late eighties. And, uh, and suddenly people got to see it or people who liked it got to see a great copy of it. And, uh, it sort of blew up bigger than I expected. Really. The film suddenly became an eighties classic in the opinion of many people. And, and for me, this is like hard to believe. I guess you guys are aware of like some of the backstory and we had a lot of trouble, trouble on it. Yeah. We were going to dive into it a little bit, but yeah, have you seen the documentary that was on the Blu-ray? Uh, I watched it when it first came out with my buddy Billy Coyne, but uh, yeah, yeah. But I yeah, the doc- I mean, the documentary goes into quite a bit of detail about what happened, and we were quite blunt about it. Yeah, you know, which which strikes me as so funny because when we made the film, we signed contracts basically saying we would never say reveal anything about anything about anything. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't well, think you don't think we'll be sued. <laughs> There's a uh, time re- restraint on that, or whatever the, uh, whatever the well. Mostly, it's just it just comes down to. I mean, it's like I don't give a fuck at this yeah. point. <laughs> um, you know, the stories. The story. Here's the thing. The stories got out there through osmosis slowly yeah. a bit years ago. But any place Spookies was mentioned, it was usually like total misimpressions about, you know, like it was two different movies stuck together or it was, you know, the directors were fired because they didn't know what they, we were doing. Uh, we knew what we were doing. We just had a bit of a conflict. Um, but but amazingly, the film is now sort of appreciated for for what primarily is our scenes and our special effects. Yeah. And I think people like it for that, the, the practical effects, a variety of different monsters. And, uh, and, and then there's the fact that it's so, you know, like totally, it's, it's like one non sequitur after another of like, what the fuck is going on? And I think certain movies like that have a charm and are entertaining for that reason alone. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for anybody out there that hasn't seen it, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, I believe, has a cool Blu-ray edition of it out right now. It might be out of print because that was hot. That was like hot, hot cake. I think it's currently in print, although I, although I actually I, I went to Amazon recently to, to get the link for somebody, and the Street Trash is not on Amazon, so that's interesting. I think Synapse owns Street Trash. Yeah, but I mean, it was plentiful and really uh, very easy to get for a long time. They're holding on to them. They're selling them on eBay. I don't know. As you, as you might, pops. as you possibly are aware, there is a remake in the works of Street Trash. Oh, oh a reboot. Yeah, we know about that. By the the guy yeah. that adjusted our A Martel, Rhode Islander, and uh, Ryan Kruger of right, uh, right. was it Fried Fried Barry that just got some hype recently. That right, was- and I and I when I heard this news, I wasn't surprised because I, I sort of. I, after I, you know, realized like at some point years ago that like almost any movie could be remade because somebody will just decide this is familiar. The name, the title's familiar to enough people to yeah. remake it. And so 
Street Trash, I figured they'd definitely get to eventually, especially because the horror fans, uh, the, the market's become a much more profitable niche, I think, than they they ever thought it was to begin with. Well, Street Trash is a great, like, the story of it's great. The look isn't, the look is what I think is, well, really, you'll never, it'll always be here because the look is very unique with the bright colors of the gore and stuff is really cool. Um, I support that to the fullest. Right. Well, plus, I mean, like, uh, there was a lot of New York City that, in general, that was just very run down at that time. And so a lot of that stuff is, you just, you know, you don't really see it the way you did, at, you know, years ago where it was, you know, it wasn't uncommon to be in those kinds of environments. I don't mean the, the junkyard, but just everywhere we shot was, you know, yeah. kind of urban and, and uh, you know, a bit rough to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Justin's got big traumatized. And I always heard, maybe you can, you can shed some light on this. I always heard back in the day there might have been a little rift between the Toxic Avenger and Street Trash. Oh, well, this, is, this is ridiculous. This is just like something that, <laughs> that I think fans have like decided, oh, let's make something of this to entertain ourselves. Yeah. Uh, uh, we made Street Trash, right? I've never seen a trauma f- film neither Roy Frumkiss, who wrote and, and, and uh, was the uh, primary producer of Street Trash, and Jim Muro, who directed it, had ever seen these films. We had not seen the toxic Avenger, I think came out shortly before, maybe around the time we started to shoot. I I don't remember exactly. And we went out there and now apparently we cast a couple of the same actors that trauma used. Uh, and, uh, at the same time, uh, we, uh, had a film that was kind of like, you know, totally irreverent and very obscene and very over the top and intentionally. So, but the script for Street Trash was written like in probably like 82, 83. It's not, you know, it, it was written like, you know, well before we shot it. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't think we were in any way trying to like rip off or infringe on trauma. I, I mean, somebody mentioned this on, on my page and I, I wrote a reply to it and said like, you know, we're, you know, the, you know, the actors, as far as the actors, you know, we, we, we auditioned actors. They came in and we said, oh, this, these people are good and we want them. Yeah. Uh, maybe you thought the same thing. The great Pat Ryan, I think, is who they're talking about, who was in the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's the most visually obvious. And yeah. he was a great guy, and I really liked him. I wish cool I could have gotten the chance to work with him again. Um, he, uh, I think actually, it's interesting because I've talked about, I was just talking about this recently, that I think in that, that, that role that he has, where he's basically like a total scumbag, he actually has like sympathetic moments just because yeah. he, he's actually able to, to give some subtlety to the, to the acting in the part. Yeah. Um, but trauma was not on our mind. Now I know, know Lloyd, uh, infamously, uh, this is, uh, street trash in the, uh, voice, the voiceover commentary for the Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Right. But I think these feelings are just kind of not, I, I think they're misplaced. I don't think there would have or should have been any animosity. Now, on the other hand, uh, at the time, uh, I had uh, been told by Roy that we got, you know, we, he had had a, a talk with some of the trauma dignitaries and they had been offered like sort of what we thought was a lowball price that really wouldn't be advantageous to the, in terms of the the money that had already been spent and, and the deals we were hoping to get. And we eventually got a much better deal with Vestron video. Yeah. But, um, uh, recently somebody told me that, Oh, Lloyd claimed that, uh, he was banned from, a, from screenings. And so I looked into this a little more and it turned out, Oh, well, he uh, he called and said he'd be like 30 minutes late for the screening. Could they hold it? 
and it was told, don't bother to come. Huh. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they're too slightly it's different. It's a weird, that's a weird, on Lloyd's behalf, that's a little weird of a ask for someone to do, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, pl- I mean, to, to say, oh, we have one person who can't be here at this moment, so, uh, I don't know what to say. I, I, uh, I, I had no animosity. I don't think any of us who made it, at least at the time, had any animosity or rivalry or were looking to, you know, we, and we had no awareness of the, the things he thinks are being ripped off yeah. from his films. Um, you know, I mean, I, I could give my, my opinions and say in, in, in our defense, I think Street Trash is better made than any trauma film. I will, yeah, I think that the, the big comparison, I think it's, they're those gritty New York movies and there's like a toxic vibe to them. You know what I mean? Well, there's just like, it's like there's no holds barred. Tastelessness is just like not even considered. Street, yeah. And I love Lloyd's films. I think, he, you know, he, he's a good filmmaker. But yeah, Street Trash has a lot more style to it. There's a, a lot of style. Well, there was time and effort put into it, I have to say. We yeah. fortunately got a lot of. Uh, Jimmy Muro was like 19 years old when he directed it, and fortunately he had enough vibe and instincts to be able to get essentially what was, uh, you know, ultimately I think a good film. Uh, I felt really good about it at the time, and I, I still feel good about it, and I'm I'm amazed at how it's continued to just endure and have this popularity. Um, you know, I... I I think that there are just some films that, uh, you know, maybe that, maybe this will just go on forever. I mean, literally that there's always someone who's going to appreciate it for, for what it did and what it is. Um, you know, and, and, and bear in mind at the time, we knew it was over the top and Vestron didn't want to put it out in theaters partially for that reason as, as a mainstream, you know, as a mainstream type of a release and into grindhouses directly. So they just played it off in midnight shows initially. Yeah. Um, you know, now I don't think it, it's quite as outrageous as it was, but it's more politically incorrect than it originally was. Yeah, no, for sure. I think everything is. So everything's kind of falling. Yeah, well, Street Trash was deliberately trying to provoke people in that sense. Was, so, uh, was the crazy colors in the, in the script from the Echo? Was that always a thing, or was that something that, in, the, in the in the melts? Yeah. Well, here here the lo- the reasoning was well. First of all, we thought that visually that would be great. You know, and plus it would be like unexpected and different, and it wouldn't be like all just blood, like everybody is used to gushing, if anything gushes. Uh, and uh, at the time, uh, that was all like planned from the start. Plus, we thought, all right, gee, if we get the gore gets too explicit, because we also had no intention of like purposely holding back on anything. That that uh, you know, it's all these comic book colors. It's not reality. How can they give it an X rating? Yeah. But they, but that's what they wanted to do when we submitted it to the ratings board. So yeah. it was released unrated. Which back in the day would really nowadays people look for unrated. Back in the day, that really hurt you when you got that unrated. You well, it hurt you. It hurt you. It hurt you really more than theaters than anywhere yeah. else. To tell the truth, when films like that got into video stores, now now keep in mind that like Street Trash was unrated because it would have been X rated. But when it got into video stores, it it wasn't. There wasn't somebody saying, all right, wait a minute, you can't just put this here with the other films. This is street trash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, your kid might not be uh, good to subject this to. Yeah. Um, so it, it was right there with everything else. And I, I, it's just like now, my scene, you know my scene. Yes. Um, which has a prosthetic uh, penis <laughs> flying through the air, et cetera. 
there is there 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 are frequently and this I think it's up now. Somebody posts uh, on Facebook a copy of Street Trash, you know, uh, illegally, whatever, um, and that scene is intact, right? And that's that's a scene that should not ever be on YouTube. Yeah, it's true. YouTube used to have death videos on it way back when, way back. Right, but that's when they were a smaller company. They didn't have the ability to do yeah. as much surveillance of everything, and they weren't going to be financially hurt because they didn't have as many customers. Now they have to please everybody. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's just astounding. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess I, I guess it's being done by AI bots, so that it, it's you know it can't figure out that this is something objectionable, and it just goes through. Yeah. Yeah, the, the effects, to go back to the effects thing, you know, that's a very Evil Dead too. I remember Sam Raimi had that, that was their deal too. Like a lot of the blood in Evil Dead 2 is like not so red because they knew that the, when they were going at them for the MPAA or whatever, we're going to get them, uh, that they figured that, that they did, they squeezed through supposedly. Right. But, um, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. It's funny. You'll, you'll see certain films, you know, street, I think Sam Raimi had a little clout behind him. And like you said, Jim was kind of starting out his first film, so like they weren't really gonna let you guys squeeze by, but they let Evil Dead Two squeeze by. Yeah, well, plus by that time, we, you know, Raimi was connected with studios, yeah. and you know, he had some like major uh, people behind him. Yeah. Uh, we went in there, and we knew most people. We we knew that when it was presented to the ratings board, most of them would be disgusted and upset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. All you could imagine, all them, all like how many movies those people have ruined. Like, there's probably masterpiece horror films out there, and dramas, and all types of like madness of type films out there that we'll never see because they just axed it so much. The filmmakers, were uh, like, probably in many cases, but you know, I mean, at this point, a lot of films do get restored. A lot of yeah. people do get a chance to, you know, to see the scene years later or something. Uh, the thing is, in most cases, I mean, you got to realize, especially with exploitation filmmakers, a lot of them were not in it for the art. So if something got cut, you know, who the fuck cares as long as it's out there making me true. money? That's true. <laughs> that is true. Very much so. Yeah, the I, almighty buck is uh, what uh, what counts a lot of times. And I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it's, it uh, hinders the artistic... Uh, Artistic vision, other times it helps. It depends on who's the one with the money, really. Yeah, it yeah. depends on, also, it's like, in the case of Street Trash, uh, it was released, and the company didn't think they could play it as a, you know, a mainstream film in several theaters at once. Uh, maybe they were right, I don't know. It went a little farther than most films at that time. Yeah. But it's eventually found uh, it's it's got a pretty broad audience now. It seems to be just, you know, considered a part of, like, 80s horror, like, you know, like every uh, Halloween film or whatever else. Yeah, it was a cult so classic. I, yeah. Right, but the thing it really is that people can now accept something like that as opposed to, or most people can, as opposed to, you know, years ago when we knew Street Trash had to be carefully, you know, sort of suggested to people before showing it to them. Yeah. I know you, I know you met the other producers from Spookies in school. Did you meet uh, Jim and Roy in school too? I met I met Roy. I took a class, again at the State University of Purchase. The class I met my partner Brendan is in was the class he was teaching at at SUNY Purchase. That Roy he was. On, yeah, he was. Yeah, he's teaching still, right, Roy? He I think he retired from teaching not too okay. long ago. Okay, he but he was also and then he went to teach at the School of Visual Arts, 
and we just we became friends because we were both just really crazy film buffs to begin with, and uh, you know he he like me wanted to make films like you know I mean a lot of a lot of teachers are just sort of there to teach yeah uh, so uh, he uh, he put together. Uh, what, what I thought was a really interesting, unfortunately never completed experiment, which is that we did a film that we tried to uh, do an anthology horror movie, and he wanted us to f- find out some way to self-finance it, 16 millimeter, and, and this was through the class he was teaching. And uh, to have several students direct episodes and then to bring in some professionals that he was friendly with. That would cool. You know, and, and so, well, it got, I mean, it got partially made. I mean, then st- some of the footage is out there. Some of the footage wound up as the title sequences for Dr. Butcher, MD. Okay. Italian zombie movie. That stuff, yeah. that stuff at the beginning that the titles are over on the, the print that's called, uh, of Zombie Holocaust, retitled Dr. Butcher. That's my stuff and Brendan's stuff. Awesome. I dig that. Well, it was, it was a bizarre thing to see on a big screen at the time and, and realize I had made my, my big screen debut at 19. Yeah. Well, you know, that's very cool. That's super cool, man. You know, yeah. but like, I mean, like, for instance, one of the directors that did an episode was Wes Craven. Yeah. You know, so, so we, we, I think if we had finished the film, it would be probably a, a well-known title by this time. Probably would have been. Yeah. Lost classic. You know what I mean? Who dying? You know, street trash to go back to the directing style. That's very, it has some Raimi in there, some, you know, that's pre Peter Jackson, but I feel like Peter Jackson probably ganked a lot of influence from street trash. Um, well, let's see. His first films are, uh, just like street trash. Bad, right, well, like, isn't bad taste like 1990 or something? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's an early, uh, the nineties, one of them. I, I, no doubt that he saw it. No doubt that he was somewhat influenced by that and other films. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, I would say, uh, you know, I mean, the fact is, with, and, and you say there's a Raimi, I mean, you're probably talking about like a lot of the camera movement and stuff yeah, I like think that. Yeah, I think the camera movements for Raimi. Uh, there's a lot of Raimi. Yeah, in that case, it was, it was sort of built into the movie because Jimmy had managed to, uh, get his, uh, his, his, his very supportive uh, family to help him to purchase a Steadicam. He became a Steadicam yeah. operator at a very early age. And so there was an effort to put as much of that into the film as we could. And at that time, Steadicam was like a, a big deal. It's like, cause you know, suddenly you, you had the ability to easily float cameras almost any place. Yeah. And so he, uh, he utilized that. I think that, that makes the film stand out in many ways. Cause very few films could have, for what, that would have cost us for an operator and a camera or a, a an apparatus at that time. I it would be, would have been impossible. Yeah, I think The Shining was the first time Steadicam was ever used. I think uh, I don't know if it was the first, but there you know it was the first, probably the first truly extensive use of it to see what it could do like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so that added a level of class to the film. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting because I frequently see bad re- people who will give Street Trash a bad review, and you get, you know, so many of these online, these these internet reviewers who just want to feel superior to whatever the hell it is they're reviewing, and so they'll say, "Oh, the, the acting is terrible," you know, the, you know, the script is terrible, the photography is terrible. It's like, you know, I disagree with all those statements. Right. Yeah. 
they're 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 just being tough. People be tough for no reason, you know. Well, I mean? they're not so much. T- a lot of times, they're just. Try- I think they're just trying to 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 be able to mock something and feel superior to it. Yeah, and I just don't think that's the best way to to review a movie unless it really deserves it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, reviewers, especially on YouTube and all that, they all kind of fall into like the um, almost like mystery uh, science. Uh, theater 3000 right, right. kind of stick where that their entire thing is to make fun of the film or tear it down and point out all the flaws. I mean, there's very few reviewers I find that actually, whether it's, let's say, Street Trash or Dr. Zivago, where right. they actually take the time to look at it as... That's unfortunately because the, yeah. you know, the mainstream, the majority of people don't, you know, they want to hear jokes with the film review so they can be entertained yeah. because they can't actually concentrate on the review alone. And uh, that's what is being catered to. And those are the most successful for the most part. You know, there are a few reviewers, for instance, on uh, on YouTube that I like that I think are like, you know, fairly straightforward and are good reviewers. But I don't think... Uh, you know, with the exception of a few, they're not always the most popular. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that uh, it's always easier to make a joke and, and, and you know, poke the fun at, at you know, the, you know, like the, the camera work's not so good or the, uh, the sound or the acting and all that. But I find it especially when you're dealing with films like Street Trash or Frankenhooker or those kind mm-hmm. of uh, films – is that you know it's it's for a fun ride it's 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 something different i mean now you go into the movie theater and you're watching the 100th you know iron man movie which you know yeah is a fun time but it's the exact same thing and it doesn't push any boundary it's it's like yeah, going to a, a a meal and you get exactly what you want without any surprises. But if you right, go but, to... But, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I yeah, go. like go to like independent films or independent cinema that, you know, you might get like something different, something that you're not expecting. Yeah. You get a, a, a hamburger with a little bit more spice to it than, you know, you're going to get going to the regular films now. And, and I think that's, that's why we need more independent films and more people you know, taking a chance on their artistic, you know, uh, chances because a lot of times, I mean, everything we have now seems to be exactly the same thing as before or trying to, you know, take something that's nostalgic and then reusing it to, like, just cash in on the nostalgia. And at this rate, you have kids growing up where they're not going to have anything to really hold on to because it's, all nostalgia of when we were kids, but nothing really new for them. Well, I mean, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be new for the younger kids, in that, in a, you know, in that sense. But yeah, um, yeah look, I mean, ultimately, everything is driven by the commercial side of, of yeah. what goes on. It's uh, and now, I mean, to tell the truth, I mean, in many ways, as well made as some of them are, and as good as as some of them are, the big budget, super popular movies are like. You know, like like obscenely expensive fast food, almost. Right. It's like, oh wow, this this really tastes great. Whatever you know, and then like you know, three hours later, you have a stomach ache or yeah. whatever it is. It's it's just that um, 
they're interested in getting movies to be as digestible as easily as possible, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no more like flair and, you know, there used to be edginess. Well, there, there is, but when it's a product of, of the, the studio nowadays, like for instance, the Marvel movies, I'm, I'm like astounded at how consistently decent those movies have been. Yeah. You know, they, 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 they could have really gone, gone south with some of them, but even the worst of them is at least passable, uh, certainly. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, I feel like, uh, it's, you know, it's a limited thing to explore to some extent. I mean, I was, I was always a comic book fan, but the comic, the superhero comics I liked the least were basically, you know, really the, the constant team ups where there'd be like, oh, you know, we'd have like 37 characters to be keeping track of. And that was fine occasionally, but I think ultimately it becomes a very overcrowded thing. Um, you know, I'm amazed every time I see a superhero movie with a superhero that didn't originate in comic books, yeah, because yeah. you'd figure, all right, well, why the fuck do we need a new superhero? Right. <laughs> There's so many of them, yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. Alex up here is a gigantic superhero fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's funny because, I mean, it was going back in the time machine to... Uh, when the first Iron Man movie came out and you saw Nick Fury, I was one yeah. of everyone else who was like, oh, my God, yes, this is awesome. I can't wait. Now, you know, yeah, there's a few it's, uh, comic book movies coming out now that I'd be interested in seeing it because I'm interested in the actors who are portraying them and right. uh, and, and the directors. But... Uh, I as as I told Matt before that I'm kind of nostalgic out. I I mean it's I mean I've I I enjoyed these characters and of course they take their own liberties. They take their own different ways of going with the characters. Sometimes I yeah. agree, a lot of times I don't. But you know I'm not I'm not one of the big you know decision makers, so I really don't have a lot to say in that. But I mean it's just that it's like. It's fun. I enjoy them, but I think we have to get back to, you know, like take a few years off. Let let the Marvel movies take a hiatus. Let them sleep a little bit. Oh, and that's then let's, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know it's not going to happen. I mean, that's what I would like. And then you know, do something <laughs> different. Or if they're going to do remake, take. Like a a cheesy B movie that no one knows about, no one really mm. liked. You know, I mean, kind of look at like John uh, Carpenter's The Thing. Okay, uh, I mean that's based on an older B movie that wasn't really well known. It wasn't that great, but he made it into you know the iconic piece of work that it was. I mean, I would like to see that. I mean, if you're going to do a remake, take something that. You know, had a good idea, a good concept, but it just didn't hit the mark at the time. Whether it's because of... I, I think no, I think there are a lot of films that had potential that they didn't reach for one reason or another. That are probably the ones worth remaking the most, but that doesn't happen because the studio, studios, the production companies, most most people nowadays will look at and want to remake something because it has some notoriety and popularity. And that guarantees them an audience. And unfortunately, the people who provide the money like to know that. And you need, you need to do something like that. Well, I mean, I, I understand and I understand that it's a, it's, it's a a money making business. You, you put in 
you know, $50 billion, you want to make, you know, $300 billion back. I mean, I understand that. And, but it's, it's one of those times that you can only do that so often because sooner or later people like, I mean, I can't believe that I'm the only one who kind of feels like, okay, we're doing another Doc Strange movie. We're going to be doing another Avengers movie and be kind of like, okay, I mean, I'm, I mean, I felt the same way with Star Wars. I was a big Star Wars fan, and now I, I could, I couldn't care less if they have another. Well, Star Wars all right. Movie. Here's my my theory, my prediction about Star Wars is they're 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 almost at the point where they've oversaturated the market to a ridiculous extent, and sometime it could be next year, it could be in five years, but at some point, Star Star Wars is going to just start losing money like fast. Because there's going to be something else that people are into. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars should take a break since the TV, since the TV shows they got like the Mandalorian and all that. And the other, there's another, Mm -hmm. they're doing so good. They should take a break from the movies for a while and just do the shows. Ride that out for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, tell the truth. The the shows have gotten probably consistently better reactions from people from the movies. Yeah. For sure. I'm looking forward to seeing Doctor Strange because I love Sam Raimi. The part oh, right, yeah. A gentleman yeah. who reinvented the superhero film, I feel, when he did Spider-Man. Uh, you, you know, before yeah, that, you were, seeing, you were seeing, you know, the formats, just, you know, the great Richard Donner, Superman, great movie, but really straightforward, kind of plain visually. You know, well, right? you know, CGI changed everything drastically. Yeah. You know, suddenly the impossible, you could, it may not have been a hundred percent believable, but almost. Yeah. The thing with the business, like you were saying, Hawk, it's unfortunate, you know, at that level, at the big, that's the big show. When you're making a superhero movie, or you're in that hall, you're in that Hollywood spot, like the the show, but the whole thing with like a, the show business is a business type deal, and you're dealing with that much money, mm-hmm. you, like the money is the most important thing going out the door, not the artistic value, you know what I mean, or coming in, so to speak. Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I understand that, but I do think that it's it's like the old thing that no matter how high you go, there's going to be a point where you can't go any uh, higher. Well, I, I really think that right now it's like I think these movies have just been coming out too close together for you to feel like there's anything special. Yeah. It really feels more like it's just another, you know, it's like next week's episode of a television series or something. Where It's like, yeah, you can look forward to it, but it's not like you're just like – Dying with anticipation yeah. for the most part, uh, but you, how can you do that when you know? I mean, what does Marvel release like four movies a year or something now, all yeah. still connected to each other? Um, you know, and now they're going to like you know the, the you know the much lower rungs of some of their characters for some of these. I'm actually I'm like surprised they did a, a, a Master of Kung Fu movie. I, that seemed <laughs> like something I would never even dream of. Yeah, you know, that kind of pl- it plays into that talk with, like, the underground of filmmaking and the overground of filmmaking, too, with, you know, the, the you know, they have the, pa- like, the people that get to those big shows, they got all the passion, you know what I mean, for sure, you know. Right. After a while, it might get played out a little bit, you know, they might kind of lose the spark of, okay, I actually made it and I'm making these big films, and they might kind of lose it at that point, but, yeah, it's, 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 a, mon- it's a money game, you know, if you're, it's like, if you want to, there's a certain break off of artistic where they try to keep it artistic, of course. But I think that the the business side of things is so overwhelming, and that 
el- that era, like that element of filmmaking that I, mm-hmm. it's very tough to get a film that comes out that looks great and follow has heart has, you can feel that there's a real part of fan behind it, making it, um, it's weird. I remember they made a movie. Uh, I heard an interview with the director that did um, Death Note. He was uh, he was like an underground uh, filmmaker kind of there because there's been an upspring of the you, if you you know you you work your way up you do horror and then when you get a certain amount of buzz you dip off into like action like Stephen C Miller did and right. uh, the dude who did the guest. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, he was saying they did that Death Note movie and that he's like, he never, his brother was a fan of the movie. He never watched the movie and he kind of made it for his brother. And he said that he was surprised that I was surprised to hear that he was surprised that the audience really went at him over it. It's like, if you're going to do a, something that people love like that, you got to really love it, love that material and like be wanting the best. For I, I agree. It. Cause that, I mean, the thing is, Here's the thing, the, the studios usually use like the thinking like, oh, this film has a, a fan audience or a cult audience or whatever yeah. as a gateway. But what they really want is like more of a mainstream audience. Right. But what they wind up doing is they wind up compromising the thing that they're trying to push with mainstream tastes or worrying about what the mainstream will react to or won't react to. Right. So it changes and it's, it becomes a different thing frequently. Yeah. Yeah, we joke around like I'm not a big comic book fan like my friend over here is. And it's like we do the film films and it's like if I was offered a big superhero movie, I don't know if I'd want to take it. I mean, if it was if I but just because if you I like if I don't have passion behind it, I wouldn't feel confident taking it on because I know that if I if I blow five hundred million dollars of their money, I'm never getting a film again. You know what I mean? Because unless I know somebody, unless I'm well, LinkedIn, you know what I mean? Amazingly, though, that's not entirely true because there yeah. are people who make those movies and and yet they continue to work. I think ultimately, the di- I don't think the director, I mean, for something yeah. like that, for for a, you know, a major Marvel movie, hundreds of millions of dollars, I don't think any one person is responsible. I yeah. think it's a group of people. It has to be. No, you're right. I agree with that. But yeah, I do think that I feel that if, if they, if you, if you get a good connect with those producers or like so, somehow you have a, a little extra connection than just you did that movie together, I think you'll survive. But it, I think it's very difficult because they're going to want to throw blame anywhere they can. So if you don't have well, a team, you're going to get They will always throw blame. And, yeah. and bear in mind that the people who are really at the top, who are the, 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 the studio executives who decide what does and doesn't get money to, to be made, uh, their real motivation, it, you know, and this was in, in like, uh, you know, at one time in Hollywood, I'd say up until maybe the seventies, you know, the producers were there because they really dug this, this, this industry and they, they really wanted to do good, good films. A lot of them had very, you know, dedicated careers. Uh, but I think most of these guys nowadays are, and women are, uh, executives who are there and their primary motivation for everything, their, their business decisions are based on keeping them and their jobs intact and their salaries intact. Yeah. For sure. For shizzle, for sure. That's definitely it. Um, I wanted to kick back to Spookies for a second. Certainly. Now, I remember Spookies is a special film in my life because I remember my uncles used to rent a lot of horror. That's when I was first mm-hmm. introduced to horror. They'd rent them and I'd watch them with them and stuff. And Spookies was right up there uh, with Motel Hell, Nightmare on Elm Street, two and three double feature. These are all films that played special, crucial moments of my, my upbringing. 
And yeah, I always remember the effects. This is, this is, this is, I'll, I'll just take this moment to in, in, insert my uh, plug for my Motel Hell contribution. Hell yeah. When Motel Hell was being made, I worked in um, distribution at United Artists, in United Artists Classics, that handled like the, all their older films and art films and stuff like that. And we got a, uh, a letter from uh, the production of Motel Hell, and they needed a uh, they needed a uh, bit of stock footage of some kind of a film for a drive-in scene. Nice. Okay, and this and this and they chose uh, to uh, you know say, well, you know, recommend any film that you want, and I recommended they use stuff from the nineteen uh, fifties film, uh, the monster that challenged the world, hmm. right? And and they did, and it's in there. So <laughs> nice. I like that. That's going to be Alex's new nickname, the monster <laughs> challenge the world. I like that. Uh, <laughs> a it's giant like, snails. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Were, were, were the, the lead effects artist, was that Jennifer Aspinall? She, On- Jennifer had been... Uh, these probably the secondary effects artists, I guess you would say, on, on Spookies initially, yeah. meaning we had known Jennifer for a while before we, we made Spookies, and we also knew Gabe Bartalos. Yes. Uh, and uh, we actually were originally going to be heading up the makeup crew with another fellow, Arnold Gargiulo, who uh, unfortunately seemed to like become totally disinterested in, in effects work in, while we started making the movie. And we had to get sort of discharge him at a certain point when his work was unacceptable. Uh, uh, and then we said to Gabe, who's like, I don't know, I forget if he was like 18, 17, I don't know, something. He was ridiculously young. We said, Gabe, we need you to head up the makeup effects unit here. And he stepped up and he did like as good a job as anybody I think could have under the circumstances. Uh, and Gabe is always like very motivated. He's very creative. He's very like, he's got a weird sense of humor and everything else. Yeah. You know, and Jennifer came on because, you know, we knew her too. She had the only thing that she had done. And here's another trauma crossover. As far as I know, she did the original Toxic Avenger makeup. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Meaning yep. she created the, the look. The look of Toxie. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and as I said, at that time, we'd never seen that, or, you know, or any other trauma films. That's probably one of the other things Lloyd somehow cross-references in his mind. But uh, You got her for Street Trash and Spooky, so you kind of, don't you guys weigh, you guys did more work with her, so you can't really get too upset. Well, ultimately, you know, the thing is, I mean, I did Spookies, and then, uh, and I forget, I honestly don't remember why I didn't ask, like, uh, Gabe to get involved on Street Trash. He must I'm thinking he was doing something else. But then there was also, uh, so the fact that uh, Mike Lackey, who uh, plays one of the main characters in Street Trash, uh, was uh, going to be one of the effects people, too. Yeah. And, you know, and Mike was probably, like, you know, a bit less experienced, etc. I You know, so I would say, you know, that... Ultimately, uh, a lot of people worked on the effects. I mean, there were, I mean, just to think of some of the people, uh, you know, uh, Gary Yee, uh, Scott Coulter, uh, guys who were still working in, in the business. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, the effects in that also, I mean, between that and Spookies, I learned so much about not to do when you're shooting on set uh, practical effects. Yeah. But, you know, it's just well, basically, basically that everything, will, no matter what you think will happen, Something else will probably happen, so you have to constantly work around like un- unexpected problems or little details that don't work out the way that you'd like. 
Um, you know, I mean, I'd not, what I would do now, and there, I don't know if you've seen, they, I've been posting, uh, like, uh, test shots from makeup effects for the new yeah. street trash, right? And they're doing makeup effects tests well in advance. Yeah. Which is like exactly what you need to do and what, what I would insist on in any case at this time. But, uh, when we did it, I mean, we sort of, you know, maybe we played around, you know, they played around with like things they thought they might try to do. But when we got to the scenes, we had to learn as we, we, you know, went through them, sometimes have to go back for reshoots, whatever. Um, you know, and then, you know, ultimately between that and editing, we were able to like make things work. Yeah. But it's, uh, I, and I think this goes on all the time. I think, you know, like people expect stuff, you know, oh, this, this incredibly complicated effect that no one has ever attempted before will go just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That reboot's going to be a big deal because Justin and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ryan there. Kruger, they're both like popping right now in the, in the indie world. And they, I think they have enough, they can get the funds. They got enough following. Right. They, they know that they, those effects need to look great for the film to work. You know? right. Well, I, I've been in touch with Ryan and I'm the, and, and they have my blessings because yeah. I am not the hugest fan of remakes. Like we were talking before. It's like, I think, yes, remake something. If it wasn't good enough the first time and then you could do something with it, you know, yeah. or remake it. If you think it's so obscure that nobody has ever seen it for the most part. Right. But um, now street trash is pretty well known and pretty well liked. So that's a big risk. And it's, I'm very, I find it great that like uh, Ryan decided that this, you know, he he did Fried Barry and he had you know enough success to be able to you know purchase rights for something else he liked to do his version of it, and so uh, that means a lot. If that's if that's your first go to, that's you know that film uh, obviously had a huge influence, and fortunately for me, mostly I really liked Fried Barry. Yeah. So it's. It, it's like there's so many directors who, if I had heard that they were they were doing this, I would have just like, you know, I'd be like bad mouthing it probably from now until. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, you, you know, you, it, the gamble of it. You could get one of these a filmmaker that's only known for having Facebook likes, so you can get a nice quality underground come up. Whatever. It's like it's like if I heard that there were oh there's a there's going to be a street trash remake and the guy who directed the last Texas Chainsaw he's directing it. <laughs> I'd be so unexcited. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I know you're not a fan of reboots, but I know you're a man that is a fan of sequels. <laughs> I, I, I heard there may be a little uh, sequel on its way. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to finish up the the uh, Spookies. Uh, I, I call it a follow-up because I haven't uh, worked out all the details on like rights to use the name Spookies and things like that. But it's definitely it's Spookies-inspired, and it is... Uh, and, and depending on uh, what we negotiate, I can turn it into a very direct sequel or a very unrelated uh, follow-up film in the same vein. And either way, it'll work because I think it's a strong story. I think it's, I think it's different. I think I'm trying to do something that's ridiculously overambitious. Yeah. Um, I sort of uh, I wrote a, uh, like a long outline a while back, and I got it around to people and got a very good reaction. And I even got it to like, I mean, I want to bring back Gabe Bartalos to do okay. effects work and also uh, Vincent Guastini, if you know Vincent's work at all. Yes, he's, yes, yes. Yeah, he, uh, and because he, he was another person on it. Um, and they're both very excited and they both love to do it because this is the film that sort of gave them, gave them one of their first big shots at doing, you know, a real theatrical film. Yeah. Um, so, uh, having them is, is a major plus, but I, I think, uh, 
I'm trying to do something that is sort of a uh, like the anti spookies. It is a reaction to spookies and what happened to it, and uh, it's uh, it's very ambitious in terms of just scope and action. And I haven't had anybody say to me yet, it's too expensive. You'll never be able to raise this money. That's uh, good. But uh, but I am looking at more than more than Spooky's budget. Um, yeah. But uh, so far, things have been positive. I've already talked to some people who are interested on on the the financing end, and uh, it's been very um, exciting writing it because I can't. Every day I'm doing it, I'm, I still can't believe I'm doing it. That this day has come is pretty entertaining to me. Now my my ex partner Tom Doran, who was the co director and co writer of Spookies, uh, he uh, passed away a few years ago, and he and I had been thinking along these lines going back years, you know, it's like, all right, if somebody, because we were still looking to make films and still yeah. still having very little luck raising the money every time we got a project together. That's the thing, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, so it came down to, all right, our best shot is if if Spookies can get out again, in, on, and at that time it was DVD, not even Blu-ray, Blu yeah. uh, you know, that it'll become more well-known, and if it, if it gets some notoriety, it'll give us a much better shot of having something current that make, made money that will. And uh, and we went out there, and we looked around for a long time, trying to just track down who the actual owner was these days. We eventually realized it was our original backer, Michael Lee, even though he had transferred the film to various owners over the years, so it wasn't yeah. Apparent, and we realized, all right, well, he's not—he's not going to give us the rights to our movie. You know, he hates our guts. Uh, and then, fortunately, Vinegar Syndrome picked it up. They did exactly what we would have done. They—they they put a, a nice package together, and they had an an hour and a half uh, documentary about the making of it and all the upheaval and what happened. And uh, it told most of the story, and it told it pretty accurately. And suddenly, uh, the film got a, a very different reputation a lot of people who who said oh well i never really liked this film but now that i know about it and i saw this documentary i have so, like a totally different idea about it and so i can understand yeah. and uh, you know and the reaction to like still the people most frequently are you know they like the absurdity of it but you know the the work that we put into our makeup and effects work the work that we did in just gen in general just trying to give it a look and some atmosphere and other things people appreciate that um, yeah, you know, I think the film has a lot of there's a lot of room to criticize it, especially because it's been jumbled into something it wasn't intended to be. Yeah. But uh, people like it. It seems to have a lot of very enthusiastic fans, more enthusiastic than I'm than I'm possibly capable of believing at times. Yeah. Um, and it's like again, it's like with Street Trash. It's like now part of the the pantheon of 80s horror it's you know what i'm saying it's like it's like they're alongside the better known bigger profile films yeah i think the documentary definitely helped because like you see it and then now you can understand why and you know i think as you get older as a as a horror fan watching these films and you understand mm -hmm. that it's the trials and tribulations and i think a lot of horror fans actually dabble in trying to make horror now i think that there's a big you know there's a bit, there's almost not, not enough audience anymore because everybody's a filmmaker, you know what I mean? But I think that doc definitely helps it because you can appreciate the perseverance and what goes into actually getting, you know, something like that. Yeah. Done. You know. But yeah, I think uh, when the script's done, I think Justin's going to give you a call and say, we just did the street trash reboot, dude. We got a sequel in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. We're going to get Ryan Kruger up in there. 
Kruger, what are they? Yeah. If you're hard, yeah. Just the fact, I mean, as I said, I liked Fried Barry, and yeah. uh, I, I would have been, and I'm usually very honest, even to my own detriment about a lot of things, and if it was like, you know, some hack or just somebody, uh, you know, I thought was was just grabbing it for the, the name and, the, and whatever money they could squeeze out of it, I wouldn't be happy. But I'm really happy that somebody I, I, I respect who seems to make an effort in in his films. Is is doing yeah, it for sure? Like you don't want the director that just made the Amityville haunted shoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want you want somebody that makes something of great quality. Hey, I like that. Movie. I have a lot of fans and people. I have a lot of fans and people like that I know that that make movies like that. I me too. I have friends that make those movies. Yeah. So I kid with them all the time, and you they know, only uh, do it to piggyback off the name. They know what they're doing. Well, that's the thing. I know. Yes, I know yeah. they know what they're doing. But see, like that kind of thing. I couldn't. I, I would get very bored doing that. I would have yeah. to just an idea that excited me. Right. There's. Um, it's a weird. Yeah. Like. Uh, I know. I we don't want to talk about that because it could get dark. We could get dark if we talk go too deep into that subject. But yeah, I think that he the, the, the fried berry was real fun and like it has that vibe. It has a street trashy vibe to it. It, it. it did. Well, plus it. I mean, the the the, the character of, of of Barry was like so. Well portrayed and so fucking sleazy and low life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely has that vibe. Yeah, it's it works. You know what I mean? It definitely works. I think the street trash reboot's gonna be really good. They're from London or something like that, right? Isn't he from England? Are they originally? Well, the film is South African. Okay, all right. You know, so yeah, so they've got they've got British accents, etc. He's uh, South African, like Richard Stanley, South African. Yeah, believe it or not, Nico, poor Richard Stanley. Yeah, actually. <laughs> he's a good dude, Richard. We've had him on the show. He's a good dude. Oh, really? I, I really admire and respect him. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's kind of puzzling to me why he's had such a difficult time in his career. It's very weird. You know, he's a true, I think he's like when the artist meets the money. It's one of those things, I think. Right. You know what I mean? And they, they were, they weren't, they felt a little uneasy because he's a mystical type dude. You know, he's a unique individual. I think when they kind of seen him kind of doing his thing, I, he might not have been able to kind of communicate with them on, on the levels that right. they both should have happened. I think that it was a communication thing. And they go, oh, this wild, crazy artist is just spending our money. And it's something like that happened. You know what I mean? Well, it, it, I mean, a lot of times it is communication. If it's, if communication breaks down in any way, you can be right. totally screwed. Uh, I really like the documentary about his uh, Dr. Moreau. I mean, because and yes. and that to me is is like uh, another example of more or less what we have had happened with Street Trash, where you just you wind up in these crazy back and forth, you know, things that ultimately tear apart what you set out to do. Yeah, and usually the people on the money end are so insensitive and so unaware of what is or isn't a good idea. Right. It is the era of documentaries. You know what I mean? Everybody loves a good documentary. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's nice to have, especially for a film buff to have a lot of these come out now. And especially when they go into more exhaustive detail and, and, and let you know things that probably wouldn't have been talked about in this kind of thing when they, when this was confined to like DVD extras or something only. Yeah. We've had, I did a Roy did document of the dead, right? I think. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, in the, that was one of the first large scale yeah. you know, genre type documentaries of that sort at the time. I think it was about the best feature length, you know, film for genre filmmaking that had been done. Yeah. 
Did you have any, um, when you were on Dawn of the Dead, did you have any interaction with George? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, Any I, good story? That's my way of saying any good stories. I, of- I hung out with him. I, I, I did interviews with, with him and, and George, uh, Tom Savini, uh, Ken Foray, Scott uh, Reininger. Uh, for, uh, it was supposed to be for, uh, uh, Fangoria, I think. Yeah. I, it was my, I'm trying to remember. Uh, and then somehow I was, I didn't get everything transcribed and everything in time. And they had another piece about Dawn that they ran instead. So it wound up appearing in a very low, low budget version of Fangoria called Starburst. I remember Starburst, time. yeah. Okay. Well, a friend of mine was the editor. Uh, so, uh, so it did get out there, and uh, yeah, I mean, I got to tell you because I, I went to to the production to the set after myself and my partner Brendan Faulkner from Spookies, the, the other co-director of Spookies, went with me. We 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 drove to Pittsburgh in a blizzard, and we enjoyed uh, like a weekend uh, just you know shooting, and and you know the, uh, the the atmosphere was very sort of lighthearted. George had shot most of the movie; he was just sort of doing little bits and pieces he thought might be good to try and play with as extra stuff. Um, and uh, he was he was such a nice, sweet guy. I mean, he was like, and he was he seemed very happy with what was going on. He seemed you know it was like. Uh, you know, I think it was sort of, you know, like, you know, he did Night of the Living Dead and it over the years became such a, a major name in horror. And I think he felt like he, you know, his visions were just getting a chance to expand. Uh, you know, although he, you know, he did mention that, you know, he said, you know, we're still not a big budget film. I can't, you know, just take a motorcycle and plow through these stores or something. <laughs> if you think about that, like nothing really happens to any of the stores. In, right. in the yeah, they can't. <laughs> He's living on that low budget way of thinking when you're in somebody's house or there, you know. Right. And I think, um, I mean, for me, I find Dawn to be just maybe the peak of his work just because he was just at that perfect place and he managed to make it work. And at the time, even though something like the, uh, the walking dead has made it uh, almost ordinary at, at this point, at the time, Dawn was like a radically over the top yeah. beyond horror film that, that went in places that you hadn't seen before. Oh yeah, that that opening scene when they're going through the the, the apartment mm-hmm. building and it comes around the corner and bites her neck, like I that effect like blew my right, fucking right. mind apart, dude. I was like, what? That's the first time I ever seen anything that like graphic. I was like, whoa, yeah, legendary. Yeah, so, and I think that was that was you know the reaction in general it's to the o'clock. film. Yeah. Yeah, we I got to, I got to meet George before he passed a couple of years before he passed at a horror convention. He was a really sweet dude, iconic. You know what I mean? Created, you know, reinvented the zombie uh, film. You know what I mean? Who oh, dang? And there was yeah, also. No, I, mean, I mean, to tell the truth, it was also great just talking to these these people because, uh, you know, they were horror fans too. They were right. they were also thrilled. I mean, you know, the actors were thrilled about working with the guy who made Night of the Living Dead. Everybody yeah. was uh, very, uh, you know, very. Up and you know and 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 onward and really like gung ho for this project. Um, I don't think at the time though when when I went there, I don't think I realized that it would be as groundbreaking as it was. Yeah, you know, being a zombie in a Romero film and a notable one too. You know, getting the seltzer in the face—that's a cool moment. That you know that you know you're right there. You show. I, I know, and I, I've been I've been told I should be doing conventions, and I wanted to, uh, but the past couple of years have made it a little more difficult. But I want to get out there soon. Uh, I'm supposed to possibly be going to the uh, uh, 
Houston Film Festival is it? I forget exactly. Someone else is is making arrangements uh, for yeah. this. Uh, but I do want to get out there and I want to connect with fans because I've had so much pleasure and and uh, enjoyment connecting with them over the internet for the past uh, gosh, two two years, I guess, at this point. And yeah. uh, you know, I uh, I'm so you know, you said some people are are kind of like not uh, exactly able to handle their fame or or whatever it comes down to. Yeah. And I don't look at it that way. I mean, it's just to me, what's great is, all right, finally, this thing that I thought like fucked my career <laughs> decades ago is now like everybody's telling me how much they like it. And I have, you know, I have, I have people call, I have fans who like say things that are to me that are just so, so kind and sweet and, and like complimentary that it, it's, it's, you know, it keeps me sort of happy all the time in a sense in that, um, you know, I, I feel gratified that I didn't just, you know, wander into the darkness without any kind. It's not even so much the recognition. It's just, it's, a, it's to be able to connect with these people. Yeah. And you should definitely go to cons because you've been in a whole bunch of cool films. And I can personally, when I first started going to cons on every, I'd give my money to anybody. That was anything. I remember I have like the nurse zombie and some other zombies that just right. kind of were walking around. So well, sometimes you have, you, you have so many of these people all together in one place. It's like, how can you resist? It is. It's like, well, you're never going to be in this situation again. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting because when I, I, I talked about when I first went to cons and would meet other fans, etc., and they were smaller scale. I mean, there you know, there were a few very big comic conventions, but it wasn't, you know, what it was. I mean, eventually it became a very different thing. And I remember there was like a, a gap of like 10 years or so where I hadn't gone to a con in a while. And I went in and everything seemed to be like, you know, giant movie studio, corporate, big budget for all the, their, their uh, sets and all this shit that they had there. And, you know, and, and the dealers also, too, you know, almost all, it was weird. Almost all the dealers looked the same. You know, it's like, I remember the dealers would be like all these ragtag bunches with like, you know, ragged cardboard boxes full of comics. And, and now everybody looks like, you know, very clean and perfect. And uh, I don't know. Did the, um, when you were doing the cons way back when, did they put <laughs> the celebrities that and all that? They did, but on a, on a far, far more limited basis, meaning... Yeah. They would usually be, uh, you know, in in a large room with, a, you know, with with the uh, enough of a uh, a space for an audience, etc. And it was done as a group event. Yeah. To do things, <clears throat> it only became, <clears throat> excuse me, it only became a thing gradually where they started bringing in celebrities, like lots of celebrities. I mean, up to the point where they had so many celebrities. They would just have to have their own celebrity area, and you know what I'm saying. I mean, but in, in a way, that's the kind of thing that's overwhelming when you walk into a space and there are people all over the place, and like almost everybody is like a name or a face that you know, and you feel like what, well, and, and and you know, you feel you don't feel res you have to restrain yourself from talking to them. Yeah, no, I hear you. The um, who who they have there for guests around that time? Anybody notable that you can remember? <sighs> George Romero. Um. So, like, at that time, was George, George was, was kind of almost sounds like the equivalent to, like, me and Hawkman over here. Well, we get booths at conventions, so it's almost like they just – they were getting booths to promote their stuff, or were they getting – No, they were get, they were guests to the convention. They were guests, usually, you know, They were directors or people who, you know, who uh, – they didn't – they had more comics people, more comics professionals. Yeah. You know, I mean, that Stan Lee was all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember William Gaines of, you know, Mad and EC yep. Comics. Um, oh, yeah. 
you know, and that was like interesting because like, you know, there was still a lot of these guys who were like considered like the masters of, in the field now, like Wally Wood, I remember seeing, you know, and, and you know, doing sketches for people and, and stuff. Very uh, nice. You know, yeah, and so, it, but it was like, it was, like I said, it, it, the crowds weren't as big. It wasn't as mob oriented. It was very yeah. sort of, you know, contained by comparison with that. I remember like in the late nineties or mid nineties, uh, Fulci was in like New York or something. And I remember mm-hmm. just being wishing that I, my parents would never, they'd rather die than bring me to something like that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> like never, but I, you know, I look back at all those crazy things like stand up comedians that I probably could, I would love to have seen before they passed and, you know, filmmakers like that. Um, yeah. The cons bringing people together since day one. Um, pretty much, but I think also it's, it's, as, as I've said frequently, I mean, just, uh, the sort of, uh, I think, uh, closeness that a lot of people feel for these interests and, and, you know, and for a lot of different reasons, but I think part of it is just that it's still, you know, you're still sort of seen as a weirdo if you're the guy who's really into horror or whatever to some extent. It's a little more acceptable now, but, uh, but the whole horror community is very supportive and intersupportive. Yeah. You know, it's like if you have people you know who are making movies, you want to support them. If, you know, people are doing something else creative, you, you want to try and support them. And I think uh, a lot of people are thrilled to be able to help other people get things done, that you know, to produce work that they like. And it, yeah. and it creates a very personal relationship. Yeah. You know, and that's how I feel. I mean, this, this spooky follow-up that I am looking to do, I am almost finished with the script. I am uh, then going to be, you know, really solidly looking to make sure that, that the money that we need is secured. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the future may bring. You know, the, the, the money process is always the one that has the most unpredictability and, and is, is the hardest part in general. That's the thing. The funding's always the terrible part. Ideas for days, hustle for days, willing to get out there and do it, just got to find the money to do it. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, it really, it comes down to the, I mean, but I'm, right now I'm finishing this script and I'm putting together a package for, for this project. At the same time, I'm probably gonna be putting something together for a lower budgeted project, uh, for another script. And, uh, just because I'd like to be able to, instead of just spending the next two years raising money, maybe I'd like to do something before that. Yeah. Um, And I, and I also feel my, you know, I have enough reputation or enough fan recognition at this point to make things a lot easier for me. Uh, Spooky suddenly, you know, became like a commodity when before it was like just sort of a, a, a barely known uh, title. And uh, that's going to make a big difference. You know, I mean, that it didn't happen during the, the actual original release of the film. Yeah. You looking to do some more acting? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm still, I've actually had a couple of offers since, uh, things have been going on this year. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've always, it's interesting cause I've never made any attempt to pursue acting, but I get offered roles frequently enough. You've got a good little acting career behind you, but some that doesn't pursue, you know, uh, another crossover. I'll say that street trash and trauma, they, they, they combined when you were an Igor and the lunatics. Right. Well, Igor and the that lunatic squashed the beef right there. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, the only connection there is, is trauma picked, picked up, picked up Igor and the Lunatics and originally called Like Father, mm. uh, which, uh, they then retitled Igor and the Lunatics. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, 
we worked on that and that we, we came into it sort of in the middle of production. And, uh, originally Brendan and Tom sort of walked in on it. (coughs) Excuse me. And, uh, excuse me. I have to clear my throat. I've been talking nonstop. No worries. So they started hanging, and this was in upstate New York, Brewster, New York, and they started hanging out on the set. They realized the director had no idea what he was doing, and they made suggestions, and they made more suggestions, and then they started being, you know, asked things about how to do scenes, etc. And eventually they started creating and directing scenes, and I, I was doing something else at the time, then I became available, and I came on, and I was the production manager on it for a few weeks. And, uh, and again, you know, trauma recut as they do with almost all the movies they buy, drastically recut it, changed it, you know, turned it into whatever they thought they wanted, and uh, you know, and it's out there. Remarket it, yeah. It's part of the big trauma catalog. Right. I play two parts in it, and no one knows that. Oh, really? <laughs> no, nothing that you'd really notice. I play, I play a guy picking up a prostitute, and then I and then I'm the guy who delivers a telegram towards the end of the film, and you just see my back. <laughs> who is some if you're gonna if you're gonna sit down and watch a film what film would you be watching what do you like over there nowadays it depends it's really hard because i'm a big film fan of all sorts meaning all eras all countries and i try to broaden you know my my taste all the time trying to you know, find things that are unusual or different yeah. um i mean I, I like an awful lot of stuff i like uh I mean, it's hard to say almost. Did you, I, catch, I, what? did you catch the Greasy Strangler? Yes, I like the Greasy Strangler. That was a good time. So I thought that was real fun. I've, I've chatted a couple of times with um, I can't I can't remember his name, the star of it, Michael Saint Michael's. Oh, yeah, Michael Saint. Yeah. yeah, and I would love to cast him in something. He's we just such a good show. He's, yeah, he's great. He's a great. Uh, got a great face. That face is a million. He, he does, and and I, the Greasy Carrot, the Greasy Strangler, I really liked just because it was so. It was like outrageous. Yeah. And it was so deadpan about it. Yeah. It had it kind of had a trauma like vibe to it a little bit. But it was yeah, but more intelligent. More intelligent. More, a little more intelligent, yeah. You know, it was almost street trashy in a way like that. With the but that was fun because like every now and then you'll catch a you'll catch a movie that everybody loves and you watch it and it's supposed to be like a weird comedy horror mashup and a lot of the time it don't really hit the mark you know what i mean right. like greasy strangler was like really good film i remember really taking note of that movie yeah and and as far as the spookies follow up in terms of you know style and etc i mean it, it's it this time it is a deliberate comedy yeah with with i think very horrific elements a a boatload and a half of bizarre monsters, uh, you know, very different in tone and texture than, than spookies in any way. Um, and I, I really want to, I want to, I don't know how this will work out, you know, but I want as much of the budget to go to, to do, to doing not just effects, but action with the effects, action scenes. Yeah. So that there's like something really happening as opposed to, uh, you know, if you think about it, spookies is basically like, well, here's the monster and you see it and it does like one thing and then yeah. it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Michael St. Michael's being a star in, in uh, Spookies 2 on the comedic route. He does comedy very well. He's got history with uh, horror, too. The Video Dead, I think, he did way back in the Yeah, day. right. I know that, yeah. Yeah. They were trying to do a sequel to that, I heard, too. Well, that's the thing. They'll do it as, as long as something starts to have a reputation 
it makes sense to try and do a sequel. I mean, if you look at it, look, the bit, the whole business now, the, the major studios is built around, uh, sequels and, and, and franchises. Right. You know, that's where their money is being made just because it's, it's familiar enough to the audience and people will come to the theater again. Yeah. Uh, and at one time sequels were like really looked down on. They were usually done just to cash in and continue cashing in. Yeah. I support the sequel nowadays more so than the reboot. You know, Street Trash is going to be a great reboot. But, yeah, I like what you're doing. If you can get the original people to kind of keep the story going. No, 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 no. There's no continuation of the story. No, <laughs> there might not there, even no, be there, the there, Here's the thing. As I said, I have to I have to work out uh, details on the yeah. rights. But, I mean, and there, there are ways yeah. I can link the two. But I don't necessarily have to do that. But the, the original characters, they're no, they're, there are none of the original characters. They're all new characters. I like it. If I might say so, they're better. Ooh, okay. I'm I'm with it. I'm digging it. I'm definitely digging on it. No, I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm looking to do something uh, that in some ways, I don't think I've seen structurally a, a, a horror or monster movie like this. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I really want to see it get made. Oh, I really want to see it get made. Because for <laughs> me, it's like, this is something that... I mean, I wrote a script based on a an outline from uh, my late partner Tom Doran, who you know was one of the Spookies uh, co directors, because uh, he and I continued to work together. Had several projects almost come off over many years. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, and uh, now you know that I, now things are in a position that he and I were working to try and get them into, as far as getting uh, Spookies back out there. And, uh, you know, we wanted to do something that was like, you know, essentially we want to say, hey, look, we can actually make a good movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I caught the heat. I think the fans gave it <clears throat> gave it shit. <clears throat> Clem, I throw it out. Gave it some shit, you know what I mean? But I think that, yeah, I think that, that a nice sequel would be a good, like, finishing point on it, you know what I mean? Even if it's not related, just like a nice... I, well, I think, I- as I said, it's a, it's a, to a certain extent, it's a commentary on what happened to the, to the first film on something yeah. being taken over and, you know, taken away and, and turned into something else. Um, uh, I, I don't think, um, I mean, I'm ultimately in spookies, like nothing about the final result is as intended. Yeah. Yeah. It's truth. I will. Uh, I will direct. I'll direct the Spookies too. If you're looking for a director, <laughs> right after Amityville Dollhouse Seven. <laughs> Is that a real movie? Uh, that one could have been a real movie. I had to throw Seven on there because when I said Amityville Dollhouse, I said there is an Amityville Dollhouse. Yeah, there is an Amityville Dollhouse. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the like the fourth or fifth one, I think. Maybe lower <laughs> in the bracket, but hell yeah. Well, Frank, this was a lot of fun, man. We thank you for coming on. Guys, it was very fun for me, too. I really appreciate you having me. We usually wrap up with one one last question, which, you know, we get a lot of entertainers listening to the show. Um, you know, there's a lot of times of, you know, you get discouraged with this business and, you know, you take some breaks, you know, but you always want to keep going. You know, what mm-hmm. would do you have any advice for anybody that would come to you and say, look, like, this is what I want to do with my life, but I'm really getting fucking kicked around by it. You got any advice on that? Unfortunately, it it it's to, it comes with the territory. It's yeah. to be expected. 
when you're younger, people will tell you, oh, it's tough business. And it is. And it, more than anything, especially right now, just because like everybody in his, and his dog thinks they can be a filmmaker. But uh, when you get to the levels of the business where it really is like studios and agents and shit like that, it's still all it's, you know, it's egos and it's it's money. And it's and I think a lot of people realize ultimately it's not the reason that they're doing this in the first place, you know, which I came to the realization of years ago. Uh, but I think, you know, you have to decide like what what matters to you. You know, does it matter that you are as famous as a Kardashian or does it matter to you that you do like one or more pieces of work and you just like you you can actually just like sit there and think about it and how pleasing it is to you that it's it's what you wanted it to be yeah. and that other people have appreciated it in the way you wanted. Yeah. I, I'll, it's it's um, there's no shame in being a fan as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need that. And I say that because, like, I've met many a people that love movies, love them to death, and they start making them, and they, they come into obstacles or stuff that just make them turn. They, it, like, turns them off to films. I've seen it, whether it be, well, I know the magic to do it to it now, or so I don't really get interested, or the fact of, like, just being in a bad, going through a bad situation, really, like, hating. You know what I mean? Like, the, the element. Well, well, here's the thing. It's like it's it's basically one large problem after another. If it's a yeah. small film, it's a billion problems of all sorts, and and it could uh, you know cancel your production at any point. Uh, but with larger films, all those problems. The thing is, it's filmmaking, and you can't account for like everything. You you're always going to have unexpected situations. You're going to have you know personal you know problems with people. You're going to have you know weather. I mean, it could be anything. Uh, so you have to just expect lots of problems. It's like, you know, you should really just like be ready to contend with anything. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Well, you know, because things will happen that, that you'll just say, how could this possibly happen? We had a day on the shooting of Spookies. We were on a large estate where we had the mansion we shot the film in yeah. and another large house where we had our offices and, and, and many of the crew members were sleeping. And I, I'm, I, I go upstairs uh, at one point uh, to the up to a, a room, and I can't see anything because it's, there's like a, a void, and I realize it's smoke, and there's a fire in this room, right? And I call the fire department, right? Then I run to the other house to tell people. Then I I, I look over, and we've got this like sort of stone house, which is where all the main electrical circuits were, and I hear water. And I go over, and this room is flooding, which would have, like, destroyed the electrical system for the entire place. So this is happening simultaneously with the fire. So for, fortunately, they both both worked out okay. But, wow. it, like, at, at that moment, I realized, all right, there's, like, there can't possibly much be much more stress that I can accumulate than this. Yeah. Dang, that's a lot of you – got, you got almost all the elements going, man. You got the fire, the water. You just need some – well, That's what it was. It was just like how could these it's, – it's amazing that either of these things happened. How could they happen simultaneously? Yeah. <laughs> some people call that a curse. No, well, no. The curse of Spookies was how it got fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then made my career a, a far more difficult path than it might have been, I think. There you go. Maybe there's so you believe in curses on films? Uh, no, I really don't necessarily believe in curses at all. I just think sometimes uh, reality is uh, not what we would like. 
No, nah, I agree with that. You got to roll with the punches. <laughs> They're different every day, but you got to roll with them, you know? Yeah, I mean, look at it. I didn't expect that I would get to a point where, you know, suddenly my film would suddenly be a surprise hit with horror fans that it hadn't been all these years. Yeah. And uh, it happened, and it's still happening. And uh, all I want to do right now is I want to make at least one great film to say we can make a great film. Yeah. I want to see this. When it, when, we'll, we'll support us however we can when the time comes. Or I will be posting about all this stuff constantly in the very near future. Hell yeah. I've been following them. A lot of good street trash uh, mer- uh, merch and like fan-made art been popping off over there. I've seen you posting. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's been tons of street trash art for years. I, I yeah. mean, there are a lot of people with street trash tattoos. Haven't seen any spooky tattoos. But <laughs> now we will, since the documentary came out. Perhaps, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing, once again, it's like a tattoo tells you, yeah, somebody has a personal commitment to something. Yeah. You, you can almost equate that to the social media, too, because I, I think people have always loved the films. It's just they haven't been able to get on somewhere and talk about them in a big way until... Yeah, there was nobody to share your love with. Right. So it's really a yin and a yang to that social media. We'll see. We'll see who wins at the end of the day. Well, it's worked as someone who was eventually, you know, originally very sort of against the whole concept. It's done me a lot of good. I've connected with lots of very, very good people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm at the point now where I'm getting, uh, you know, ridiculous number of friend requests still daily. Um, you know, it, it really, um, it, it can work to the better. It right to tell the truth, I've barely scratched the surface of how much I guess I could be doing to hype myself. No. But I'm too, I'm right now. I'm too involved writing, and uh, I'll worry about that, you know, in the in the future. I'm with that. Hell yeah! All right, Thank cool. You. Thank you again for being on the show, man. I had a great time. So that was another slam banger episode of the Boombastic cast. We, uh, we thank everybody for tuning in with Frank. That was a great episode. You know, Street Trash, love it to death. One of my favorite horror films. If you've never seen it, go check it out. Uh, Synapse has released a beautiful Blu-ray and DVD, but don't go back in time. Go forward. Look for the 4K. Coming soon, probably. Um, reboot, so there probably very possibly could be a 4K version. And if there's any horror film made for 4K, it's got to be street trash because the, the colors in that film are beautiful. I can only equate them to the colors you'll see in a Dario Argento film, um, except brighter and more crazy. You know what I mean? The, this ge- gentleman behind the spookies you know what I mean? A film that was right out of my childhood. I have childhood traumatizations of of spookies, you know what he I mean? He still has got, night terrors because we of got it. to address that. Yeah. My night terrors, I have to sleep with a baby rattle. You know what I mean? Hell, so I can do it. But uh hell yeah. It was good times. And uh, we thank Frank for being on the show again. Alex, you wanna say anything in closing to our folks out there in the Boombastic Cast universe listening at home? watching it uh, nothing much uh, just that it was great talking to him especially hitting and talking about the whole idea of the independent cinema the, the how how it is uh, to make films nowadays and the trials and tribulations of trying to get the old green moolah the money bags uh, to help support and make these artistic ventures which unfortunately is is tough i mean as as we said, that uh, those in the big studios, they want surefire hits. And how do you do that? You get something everyone knows about. 
instead of trying to do something new, original, something out of the box, they're like, hey, let's do Avengers 2055 next, or something like that. Which, don't get me wrong, I love those movies, but uh, you can only take so much uh, fast food until it hurts the old stomach ache. That's one of my favorite uh, sayings about cheap film and cheap anything. I once, I, I first heard that from Necrodamus, uh, I think, told me that one. You know, fat, using the fast food re- uh, resemblance to, uh, to the, to, you know, to, to not quality stuff. You know, you, don't, you, you eat it and you get the tummy ache or you want to eat something. You want to eat something directly after because it doesn't kind of fulfill you. It doesn't give you what you need. So you need to watch something else, you know what I mean? And you can't, next thing you know, you're watching too many garbage movies. You know, it's not good for your soul. It's tearing you down. You know, I'd hate to say it, but I did a show once where I was kind of forced to watch garbage movies. And I will say that it, it gives you a bleaker look on the outcome of society and life because you go, God damn, you need good cinema. You need good cinema. If you're a fan of cinema, you need good cinema rotating through your eyelids. Yeah, you can do your trash and your fun stuff that we all love, but you do need you do need a little quality mixed up in there. I feel personally I could be wrong, but uh, I've been wrong before, I've heard, so we'll see how it goes. So everybody, uh, go support Frank and uh, Frank Farrell. He's on the social medias, on the book, definitely. That's where I caught up with him. And uh, the only thing... More disappointing than not being able to see Spookies 2, being able to use the title Spookies 2 with all copyright things in the squared away section. The only thing more disappointing than that would be not to be able to see Spookies 2 starring Michael St. Michaels and Alexander Hawk. You know what I mean? Hey, I'm down for that. That's what I live for. And with that being said, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace.